Hey. Look, I'm not even here on my behalf. Skeeter's upset. All day. All day. Don't care. What? There you go. Let's get it out in the open, all right? Just kiss. You've been just awkward and avoiding me, and it's just weird, and I don't like it, so I apologize. All right? It won't happen again. It was a mistake. We cool? Yeah, we're cool. Thanks so much. Okay, somehow I don't think we're cool. No! We start episode 73 by reading a text. Is it 73 or is it 72? No, it's 73. What does the run sheet say? 73? It does say 73. You think I would make a run sheet with incorrect information on it? Probably not. And the one on the floor says 71. Oh, that's from that's from the Gustav weekend. So I don't know if you know this or not, but we if we print a run sheet for every episode, there will be old ones floating around. But the one I put literally right in front of you has the right episode and the right run run order for our for our show today. Seems like you may have recycled that already. It was just it was just still in the bag from when okay. um when we were hanging out with Gustav. Maybe had it shredded in an iron mountain. Hey, I don't trust those guys. That's a story for offline though. <laughs> yeah, that's a yeah, that's a can't have that one online. That's an entity to be feared for sure. <laughs> Now, let me start let me start our episode by reading a text. Sorry, I can't make it. Point break, Dave. Mm. This text was sent at 8:48. We were supposed to start recording at 8:30 tonight. How's that sit with you? He has uh starting to become the the tie web of our podcast. I wish I knew what that meant, but just Unexpected no-shows. Unexpected no-shows. So what, what's sitting better with you, that or the bag of tacos you just ate? I just had a bag of tacos, and I'm washing it down with a chocolate shake. So body fat percentage be damned. <laughs> I'm going to live forever? <laughs> Pretty much. How's your cholesterol these days? Uh, it's fine. I need to get back to the doctor here pretty soon. Is it being Lipitored, or is it naturally better? No, it's being Lipitored. Oh. We couldn't naturally unenhance it. I uh, had lunch with a guy today, a gentleman, a friend, more okay. of a more of a colleague. Did you have a sandwich? No, no. Went to uh, actually went to Texas Land and Cattle, mm. and he uh, he ordered salmon and steamed vegetables, and I was starting to give him a hard time, and then he was like, "Yeah, I went to my doctor a couple of weeks ago, and my cholesterol is like double what it should be for somebody my age." You just get on medications. Well, he didn't want to do that. And I was like, hey, my friend Glenn is on medication. Dude. He's great. He eats tacos every night. Yeah. No, you go medications because I already tried the year of, uh, oh, I won't eat any, I won't eat fries anymore. And I'll eat steamed vegetables and all this stuff. 
and stay active and then go back the next year, my cholesterol is even higher than it was the year before. <laughs> you don't want to darken the door of a Texas landed cattle and order the smoked salmon and steamed vegetables? What a waste of time. Let's just put it this way. I had some, I had some smoked sirloin for lunch today, as you should. Yeah. Oh, by the way, I'm Tommy2 underscore oh. zero on Twitter if, if we've never met before. Uh, if you wanted to, to at me with a message, you could reach me at Glenn 3 underscore 11. And you can find our show at, at Where to Turn Pod. Where to Turn Pod, yeah. On Twitter is what they're calling it these days. We're tweeting. Yes. Did you see that Richard Roper got indefinitely suspended today for buying fake followers on Twitter? Is that the movie critic? Yeah, of uh, Ebert and Roper and Siskel. I think only one of those three is still with yeah, us. Th- pretty much, it's just sure it's just Roper these yeah. days. I think he was preceded in death. Or actually, that's not right. I said that backwards. Because if you're preceded in death, then that means they're already dead and you dead. You yeah, dead. true. It's okay. I'm doing fine. I'm doing well. One of those guys died with only half a face. That's true. So did Bobby the Brain Heenan. Was it his brain? Which half? He had half a face. He had his full brain, as far as I understand. Oh. The old throat cancer got him. Mm. Got to watch that dipping, man. I've been telling you for a while, you need to stop doing I don't, that. I don't do that stuff. One time, had a bad experience, and I was never again. I could say that about a few things. <laughs> I saw two of them walking around here. <laughs> man, I had a terrible day today. I did something this morning I never do. Had a bowel movement. I was setting it up for you. No, but I did do what I did do. A lot of people say would facilitate a bowel movement, and that's I stopped and got coffee on the way to work today. Were you one of those people that waits in the fifteen car long drive through? To get coffee? No, actually, I uh, I don't like I don't do Starbucks. I don't generally do coffee at all. Yeah, I, I do coffee, but I do the very generic. I just make a cup of coffee at home, put it in a nice uh, travel mug, and then drink it on my way to work. And I I don't I don't drink more than one cup a day, and I don't nothing fancy, just a little half and half coffee, sugar, good to go. So you don't like it black. I do not like my coffee like I like my wide receivers, no. <laughs> As you're wearing a Cole Beasley jersey, I'm sorry about that. That's okay. you be okay? Well, I was searching for the half-and-half half joke, but I couldn't. Miles Austin. Yeah, I guess so. Maybe another episode. Just turn to me whenever you need yeah. jokes. I've got them. When you need slot mulattoes. <laughs> Look for you. Okay, we're getting we're getting honed in on episode titles pretty quick. No, I had kind of a uh, kind of a hectic morning at the house. I went to the gym and um, was trying to get out of there on time, but they were they the workers there were stopping me. They wanted to give an awards presentation for how many bench press oh, feats obviously. I achieved. You know, and I had to wait for the mayor to get there. It was it was an ordeal. So I found myself running late for work and uh, was having trouble getting the kid. Uh, oldest one ready for school. So I tear tear out of the house and I'm on my way to work and, and I realized, yeah, I didn't make my coffee this morning. And I thought, well, I have to stop and get gas anyways. Maybe I'll check out the coffee offerings at the racetrack. They, they advertise on that. And I was actually pretty impressed. They've got quite a setup in there. 
dollar buys you any size coffee. I just went with the small because yeah. all things in moderation. I've always said that. Right. Are you going to talk into your microphone? I'm just listening to your story. Okay. Got, got a cup of coffee and hit the road. Well, I'm about five minutes from work, and I've been kind of drinking the coffee the whole way, and I go to take a sip. And the entire lid comes off. Oh no! And I dump the probably about a half a cup of coffee just straight on my shirt. Mm. And I happen to be wearing a white shirt today. We had a pattern on it, but it was predominantly a white color. So I mean, it, it's ridiculous. So I'm in the parking lot, and it burned too, but not too bad. I, I don't. Yeah. I don't. I don't want to have any uh, permanent injuries. You're not going to collect in a large settlement months from now. I'm really not at liberty to discuss the case at this point. I've been advised not to speak Uh-oh. on it. But I'm, I'm in a real predicament. I was curious what you would do in this situation. So so I work an extremely long distance from my I'm an hour away from my house. And it's 8.30, you know, roughly 8.30. I, I have a, a jacket, because it was cold, that is in the passenger seat. So I can I can walk into work wearing the jacket. But at some point, you would have to... But it's not... You know, it's like a outdoors jacket. It's not like a business oh, coat. Oh, okay. It's weather-related. Right, so if, if I decide to wear this jacket all day, people are going to be like, what are you doing? Yeah, that's weird. Unless you just told them you were sick. Right, but that's kind of a weird way to go with it, right? Oh, no, I'm sick. Well, people probably leave you alone, though. Well, they leave me alone anyways because they don't like me, so, but that's a whole other um, story. I think you're on your way in, this happens... I think you call in, tell your boss what happened, and you need to stop off and get another shirt for the day. Swing by Steinmart. Swing by anywhere. Get get me a nice F- find a Ross. dress. You need dress shirt. you need a shirt for a day. There's one not far from there. Let me tell you what I did. So I I get to work on the early side of people on my floor. So it's not uncommon if I walk in at eight thirty for me to be one of only a handful of people there. It's not not exactly bustling yet. Our group's slow to arrive. So I go, go in my office, take off my jacket, take off the shirt. So I can close the door of my office as set to assess the damage. And, uh, and then I notice so I'm wearing, you know, and I think we've talked about this in the show before, I'm wearing an undershirt. So Did it have sleeves? <laughs> it was a V-neck, and it did have sleeves. I want to show, uh, show you this picture here just to give you some context this this is how bad the coffee stain was on the undershirt wow that's terrible yeah so you can imagine if there's that much stained coffee on the undershirt you can imagine what the overshirt why, why were like. you wearing the shroud of turin <laughs> kind of does look like, like the thinnest look. shirt of all time <laughs> we gotta gotta have room for all those muscles you <laughs> it's know got, it's got richard petty's face on it yeah no, so so what I did is I I was pretty proud of myself. So I took off the overshirt. I took had the undershirt on, left it on with this coffee stains. Put the jacket back on over the undershirt. So now I'm wearing the jacket again because I can't walk around in the undershirt. No. Take the overshirt in the kitchen, put it in the sink, get some uh, hand soap out, wash the shirt in the sink, and most of the coffee comes out. Go back in my office. Now you're all wet. No, so I go back in my office, close the door again. Uh, one of the ladies down the hall has one of these those giant like oscillating fans. It's like a big, almost like a big tube that puts out a lot of air. Went in her office and said, "Hey, can I borrow your fan for a minute?" She said, "Sure, no questions." 
I have uh, I have one of those desk lamps where you can kind of pull the light over. So I put it down, shining dra- straight down on the shirt to give it heat. Get some heat on there. And then turned that fan on, blowing on it. And I'm telling you, 45 minutes later, the shirt's dry. Back on, no problem. All clean. Didn't have a meeting with that wasn't on the phone until 11.30. In fact, it happened to be at Texas Land and Cattle. So oh, there you go. Walked into there, nobody was the wiser. Everybody's got salmon. Well, no, and it doesn't hurt that they have deep, dark woods and low light in that place. But yeah. No, I rode it out the rest of the day. With my hand washed in the sink at, at work, I felt pretty pretty much like how MacGyver probably feels every day he goes to the Phoenix Foundation to report for work. I'm glad you are able to survive that. I did have an instance at work where I reached over, had a cup of water at my desk, kind of did, you're reaching for something, and then you reach back, and I hit it directly into my lap. Oh. And like 20 ounces of water just... You would rather spill it on your shirt than than write right, your right because then you peed, you've now you. peed your pants. Yeah, so then I have to do the kind of look out the office door, get to the break room, get a bunch of paper towels, put the tablecloth on as a skirt, <laughs> get back into the office, close the door, and then just advise. Start dabbing. Yes. Then uh, just advise my direct reports that my door is shut. And will be for a significant amount of time because I just spilt a large amount of water on my pants. So I'll be in here until they dry. And I didn't have a fan. I just had the air and maybe a handful of napkins. (laughs) So it took like, I think it took a couple of hours. Wow. Before I was ready to go. Before you're ready to go back out and face the public again? Yes, and not look like, uh, what is it? Billy Madison, when the kid pees his pants and he tells him it's all right, everybody pees their pants now. Yeah. That's what I look like. Although I would have had more respect if you'd have gone for that line. Yeah, there you go. All right, so I have in my hand our football picks. Okay. A little quick real-time update since we are now... uh, We are one game away. We are on the precipice of the Super Bowl. So let's see. In a very strange turn of events, none of us picked the Super Bowl representative from the uh, NFC. True, because you had the Rams, Dave had the Vikings, and I had the Saints. Yes. So, we're in a three-way tie. (laughs) Overall? Yes. But Dave is out because he had the Vikings winning it. Well, here's the thing. You've got the Saints winning it. And you have the Patriots. I have the Patriots winning it. So if the Patriots win the Super Bowl, win. I win the bet. But if they don't, but if they don't, it's a three-way it's tie. It's a three-way tie. <laughs> All right. So I guess in the uh, in the short term, be thinking about potential tiebreakers. Because um, we had the last time we talked about this, we had basically said the New Orleans Minnesota. So we thought. Would settle it, but nobody saw Philadelphia. We, I think we had all written Philadelphia off so bad that nobody saw nobody saw a scenario where they were going to be in the Super Bowl, and that's what happened. Well, we have to think about what we what we want to do. I think the Patriots are going to win. So there's been an unusual activity of wagering going for the Eagles. Yeah, it, to the point where the lines moved down a full point from where it opened at five and a half to four and a half. Yeah. 
And there's a guy, and nobody knows who he is. I sent you the article. I don't know if you had a chance to peruse. I, I know the, the backstory. Yeah, but there was a guy that cleaned the sports books out for millions and millions of dollars during the World Series, unnamed guy. And he's resurfaced again at several different sports books, placing six and seven figure wagers on the Eagles and not even taking the points, p- placing it on oh, the money, money line. line. Wow. So he's there, you know, he's betting like 700,000 to win a million and things like that. So the, the, the savant of October has showed back up and is back in the Eagles. And it makes me kind of rethink everything. Cause I've, I felt like this was a new England slam dunk. I still think they're going to win. I don't. I don't know that. Well, I mean, the Patriots really don't blow anybody out in the Super Bowl. I mean, no, that, that all is, the games are close. That but. is an interesting statistic, but I, I, I feel like the the Eagles are just due to have Foles just come out and just crap yeah. the bed. I but think, it's funny because I almost bet the Patriots when it opened at five and a half, which I, I hate betting that early. I like to wait and you know make sure that you know Gronk doesn't end up getting suspended for. Me too, or anything like that, and I didn't do it, and now I can get it at four and a half. I, I would have figured it would have gone to a touchdown by the time we got to game time, but I guess all the big money's pushing the pushing the number in favor of the Patriots. So, well, I think we're looking at another Patriots Super Bowl victory. So you're going to go on record. The yep, guy right who picked now. the Saints to win the Super Bowl is going to go on record and saying the Patriots are going to win the Super if Bowl. If not for the Minneapolis miracle, they they would be in the Super Bowl right now. As the only person who picked the Patriots from the start, I will agree with you. <laughs> See, the Patriots will win the Super Bowl. There you go. Um, I can't remember if I mentioned on here before, but we have talked that I uh, recently started playing in a 40-year and old, older basketball league. <laughs> This is a very just wrap your head around that trying time in my life. So I missed the game last week because I had to travel for work. So I've only played one game so far. So you played one game and you're already flaking out on yeah. your team. It felt great after it was over to be like, uh, I'm not sure I'm gonna even be here next week. Sorry, but uh, it went well. But they give you some good minutes, quality minutes. Yeah, we're <laughs> we're doing fine. Um, have you ever seen the movie Stand and Deliver? No. You don't even know what that is? Is it about basketball? No. It's about like this inner city. It's a true story about this inner city school and like this. Oh, Coach Carter. No. No. Uh, Not Dangerous Minds either. Or Lean on Me, which they're all kind of the same story. Uh, So anyway, that's terrible because you don't know the movie. But anyway, the, the main character in the movie, the teacher in the movie, is a guy named Jaime Escalante. That's the actor's name or no, the character's name? Edward James Almos is the actor. The character is Jaime Escalante. Okay. So anyway, the way this league works is that they have like 10 teams in the league and there's a there's a captain for each team and there's an actual draft. They have like a snake draft. So you don't sign up with a team of guys. This is that's you, pretty cool. You just submit your name like you just submit like a highlight tape. No, how? But how old you are? YouTube links, height, weight, and you're supposed to. They give you ways to like rank your ability. Like, do you rank yourself? Like, compare yourself to the NBA player you most closely represent. <laughs> yeah, representative of your game. And then you have to put essentially like your basketball experience or background on there. Oh, did you put when you played for the fake Miami Heat? I had, in I, the ticket. I did not put that. Who did you portray in that game, Alonzo Mourning? No, I was the fake Jawan Howard. Oh, Jawan Howard. Okay. Yeah. So, 
So you had to put that on there. I got drafted in the in the second round. So what did you put on there? You I, oversold yourself. If you if you you put yourself as second round talent. No, that's when I got picked. But I put the only thing I put on there background wise was you know the highest level I ever played was high school and yeah. intramural triple double champion. I did kind of slow play it like. Uh, or soft pedal or whatever with, uh, I haven't played basketball in an entire year, which was true. I had not touched a basketball for a year before I started this league. So right. I've been, I was a little, little rusty. So, so they're, they're but they're, I guess just your height alone probably puts you. Well, the guy that picked me, Mr. Mr. Escalante, we'll get to that okay. story. Yeah. Sorry. We got way off track. He, uh, when I talked to him, he was like, yeah, he asked me if I'd ever played in the league before. I was like, no, I've, just turned old enough to be able to and my other league that works in your favor too yeah my other league fell through because it was already full the guy that was trying to sign us up so i noticed this was out there i just signed up for it and uh he was like yeah he's like i didn't recognize your name or if you'd played here before he's like i just saw your height and weight and age so i just picked you and i was like that's fine i don't you know whatever hey measurables man so jaime escalante is the the name of the main character in the movie stand and deliver so i get an email after I'm picked, and it's from Jaime Escalante, which I find funny. There's probably like two people in the audience that may find that coincidental or funny, but I'm already like, there's already a bit with this thing. I'm already anticipating it's going to be wheels off, and we've already got a bit from first email of welcome to the team, and our game is Thursday, and will you be there? So I get there. And so you didn't even have a practice? No. No. You just... we. I showed up 10 minutes before the first game, shake some hands, introduce yourself, and you just start playing. So so how is the team chemistry? We're doing okay. <laughs> that was emphasized in the email. I'm looking forward to a great season where we can develop solid team chemistry. But they're not going to have a practice. And I was like, man, I just want to play basketball. I don't really care about chemistry. We don't have to talk if you don't want to. So I get there. We've got like seven guys on our team good dudes there's one guy who is a big houston rockets fan and a big james harden fan to the point that he has the beard you know who james harden is yes i know who james harden is he has the beard his his hair essentially looks like him and he this is bordering on offensive but he kind of looks like him too but only like he's like a 5'10 version. And he's white? No, he's not white. <laughs> but imagine the real James Harden, but only 5'10. And let's say he's taken about a year, year and a half and said, I'm just going to kind of let myself go. I'm going to stop taking that Lipitor for like yeah. a year. Yeah, no salmon. So that's what I walk into. That's what's walking out on the floor with me to tip this off is Jaime Escalante and the fake James Harden, which I need to get a picture of him of him because it is Yeah, we can do that, right? That's fine. It is be good for the show. Uncanny the resemblance. And and also his attempt. I mean like Was he, he just jacking up shots? Yes. <laughs> and he is decked out in Rockets gear. Like he's got So you don't have jerseys? Well all you have to have oh, wait is a minute. Like Are a, you guys the Rockets? No. Oh. You don't have a team name. You're just under the guy who drafts it. It's just under so his you're name. Jaime Escalante. <laughs> We're Escalante. Which I, is that Spanish for something? I d I don't know. Is uh, is that, I think it's Spanish for raise the flag. <laughs> I believe. I'm gonna try that next time. <laughs> um 
But yeah, he was jacking shots from the first possession, and he's got his Rockets jersey with his. Well, he's got to get shorts. his touches right. Yeah, I mean, he, head to toe, he's James Harden. So, so he he shows up to the rec league game in a full like licensed Houston Rockets. Well, you, the jerseys have to be like light and dark, reversible. That's offensive. Eh. So he had one. It wasn't like an officially licensed one. It was almost like a practice jersey looking thing, but it was a Rockets jersey. Okay. And it was black. And I think Did on the Did it say the Harden side, on the back? No. Um, I don't think so. Oh, he's got that jersey. I'm sure he does. So anyway, first game went very well. What were you wearing? Were you in a I mean, I have a, I have a jersey. I have a generic rec league jersey. Um, to work on that for the next one. Sweet victory in game one. They apparently took a significant L in game two. Well, I was not able to make it. Interesting. What was the um, what was the final in game one? I think we won by about fifteen points, but we had a uh, at least a twenty twenty four point lead and just kind of jerked around the last three or four minutes of the game. Yeah, we don't want to. I ain't getting hurt. Yeah. I mean, you know... You got to make a business decision. You know from softball, it's made pretty clear. I ain't sliding <sighs> and I ain't diving for no ball. I'm not walking out here with a torn ACL or a concussion. That's that's not going to happen. So what was your line? Well, I don't remember. Um, I think it was very... It's very Draymond Green-esque. Kind of a maybe 16, 16 and 10... Maybe three or four steals and a couple blocks. Wow! So you're you're early you're early uh, front runner for team MVP here, huh? It was not the exact level of competition I'm used to. Really? But maybe maybe it was just an outlier game. If you guys got blasted the next game, possibly. Or you're that much of a difference maker? I doubt that. But there there were a couple of blocks and a you know a couple of steals of just of passes you know thrown across the court that. Playing in my normal league, which is usually people probably from like 25 to 35, that stuff doesn't happen. That pass doesn't get thrown. Mm-hmm. Like, it was a couple times I like stole something and I'm thinking, it's like they just purposely threw it right to me, you know? So is this one of those leagues where they keep stats? Um, they always keep the book, but they really just keep. But there's not like a website or anything we can log no, into and see. I mean, you could find out how many points, how many fouls you had, yeah. but they're not keeping rebounds and assists. So so we're all friends here. You're the best player on the team? Jaime's pretty good. He's a little older than I am. So did Jaime have to put himself as the number one pick? Or he, did he mess up his draft? No, he actually did that. But I noticed that not every team did that, which was kind of weird. They probably adjust the, uh, the coach for where they would actually so. go. But Jaime's good, though. Yes. So Jaime's got some game. And he told me, I, I didn't ask how old he was. But this is the fifth time he's played in this league, and I think they run the league twice a year. So he's probably two or three years older than me. He advised me after the first game that he was like, yeah, I think this is working out. We've got a pretty good team. Oh, by the way, I've won this league the last four times. So the bar is set there. So how did you guys get beat then? What happened? I don't know. So well, you, you didn't get a call with Jaime to get the, the rundown? Well, what, he told me... That um, I got in late 
later Thursday than I thought I was. Texted him, let him know I'm not going to be able to make it. The game's essentially going to be over by the time I could get there. And afterwards, he said, yeah, I figure that's probably what would happen. And in his words, he said, we got our asses handed to us tonight. Um, all they did was double and triple team me the whole time, and nobody else on our team can do anything. So that is so an indictment of you for not being there. Because you could have done something. You could have at least got them down to a double team. This team should just be renamed me and Jaime. <laughs> if we're going to name it. That's, that's the... That's the gospel you're, truth. You're committed to this team, though. You're not going to leave Jaime hanging anymore, right? No, it costs too much money to play. Oh, really? Yeah, I've never paid this much for a basketball league. Over a hundred bucks? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Well, what are you doing missing a game? Work. I got to make that money somehow. Yeah, I feel like you're important enough. You want to talk about Waco? That's kind of the whole point of this episode, and we're... Well, really, it's going to be the whole point of the next six episodes, if... If, if this all goes works well. out, yeah. yeah. But we're almost 30 minutes in, and we haven't even discussed it yet. It's about par for the course here. So you did see the first episode, correct? Oh, I did. Oh, yes. The DVR was set. Oh, yes. I kind of forgot what night it was going to air, and I got up the next uh, or got home the next day and was flipping through, and there it was. So, so what is the Paramount Network, first of all? Is that used to be Spike? It used to be Spike. So, they, so Spike's done. Yeah, I don't... And now is the Paramount Network, because they seem like they spend a lot of time advertising themselves during yeah. this premiere. Quite a bit of time. And is that just because no one else has paid for advertising, or...? Well, it may just be that they're trying to get off on a new foot, because wasn't wasn't Spike kind of, hadn't it just degenerated into, like, reruns of clip reality shows and world's wildest videos yeah, and that kind of garbage? Yeah, stunts that go badly. Right, and- it's basically like the television version of Maxim Magazine. Is that still a relevant term? I don't know. Do you know what that is? Oh, I know what that is. <laughs> okay. I, just to I went sure. to college, pal. <laughs> Jaime Escalante was on the cover <laughs> in 1982. Oh, I Jaime Escalante knows about it. Yeah. No, but it looked like they had gone through with a, uh, a handful of new scripted series. So I guess they're trying to get the, the network off to a fast start. I think this is a good way to go. And uh, and what better way than a uh, a six part miniseries that I'm sure will get some award buzz as it goes along. And I think the way this started out and kind of the pace we're on show with the with the first episode episode, I think six episodes is going to be pretty much perfect. Just about the right amount. Yeah, because like ten would be way too much. They have to drag it out. So did, I, I think this is going to progress at a nice pace. Did you watch the? fairly recent miniseries on the Unabomber. No, I did not. This reminds me of that a lot, and I believe that was six episodes, too. And it was also you know, covering something that occurred during our lifetimes. And I actually found that to be really, really good, too. May have to check that out. Actually, I would would highly recommend that. I believe it's on, on Netflix. So, episode one, I believe, first scene we start out, at the compound with Koresh being. Well, I think we, yeah, I think things have gotten pretty turned up where we start. I think that's, that's kind of the very first scene is, is probably where it's about to, about to end. I think we're going to kind of pulp fiction that bad boy. Okay. I got you. And come all the way back around. I got you. 
but yeah, just in just a level set, I guess we should say this is a this is a mini series about David Koresh and the uh, Branch Davidians. Branch Davidians, thank you. The the ill-fated Waco compound Branch Davidian standoff with the ATF. You remember when this happened, right? Yeah, very much so. So you were locked into this as a uh, young 40-year-old. I, I was 15 when this happened. All right. I actually, if, if we want to start there, just from personal viewpoints... I feel like it'd be a good to give some context about what we remember about it going in and then to kind of see where it plays out with the... Uh, how it jives with the story that we're going to watch on this miniseries. As I remember it personally, I believe... It, it was the day of this. The original raid was February the twenty eighth, nineteen ninety three. Okay, so your recollection's already way better than mine. I looked that up, but my recollection from that day was, as I remember it, it was a very bleak February day, cold and rainy, and the family and I, or me and my family, however you want to phrase that, had uh, just gotten back from church, maybe from a nice lunch. I can't remember. I don't believe it was a Sunday because I remember I think what it was. Well, I remember what I was doing, and I wouldn't have been doing what I was doing on a Sunday. I really think it was on a Sunday. Now we're talking about the day that it caught on fire. No, 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 no. Oh, okay, the, never the raid, mind. Okay. Not the sorry, because I remember. Fire. Okay, I, I, all right. Then we we could be on Sunday for that. So I think it was on a Sunday, and um, come home, and I turn on the TV probably for, you know, whatever NBA game is probably getting ready to come on for that day. And this was back when Jaime was still in the league? Here, yeah. He was he was still like he was he was like a six man kind of at this point. Sace. <laughs> uh and I turn on and lo and behold there's some weird government group firing at this brown building, raiding this brown building. So the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms is a weird government group. Yeah. Well, I just want to be very clear for the record. It's at Glenn three underscore eleven. But that's that's what I remember as far as when this first occurred, and and we were locked in that day as it was going on, because as we progressed through the story, well, of course they had, uh, you know, news outlets and cameras and everything on on site there because the ATF. I think the ATF was the one had tipped the media off that they were going to, the raid was going to occur. Yeah. So they would be there. And I remember the, that's one of the things that I do remember is the, the huge media presence. Cause they would show those wide shots that just showed how much media was set up there. I don't know what they were expecting to see. Well, and you had on the day of the raid, you had that one shot of the, the ATF agent, Agent, the proper term. Sounds good. He climbs up to like the second level and he's, I think his back is against the compound. And then all of a sudden you see bullets just like start going through the wall and going through him. And I think he kind of struggles to get back down. I can't remember if that guy died or not. Yeah, I don't think so. I just remember. We'll find out when we watch the show. I just remember there being footage of the raid and it was, it was portrayed as here's this religious zealot group that is basically just unloaded on on our government. Right. Which 
not necessarily the truth, but that's how it was portrayed in the news and the media. And at the time, that's certainly what I was thinking. Oh, yeah. that's Yeah, and of course, I was still being heavily fed this via the parents, and that was yeah absolutely the narrative I was getting. And I also just remember I was seeing a lot of things that I didn't recall ever seeing on the news before or on TV before, like that guy just got shot. Like that's not a reenactment. That's not a right after it happened. Like I, I see bullets going into that guy's body. Why am I watching this on TV? And now that's it's not as that's not as shocking. But that was you've just been so desensitized at this point. Yeah, Sad. but that was an eye opener at the time. So the raid itself—that's what I remember from that day. And then from there, then I mean, nothing gonna, happened. We're going to progress through that through yeah, the show. Yeah, nothing happened for a long time. But my my memory is of the the day that it, that it went up in flames. Okay, like I think I think the it didn't really register with me until it was an ongoing thing. Like the, I don't have much memory of the, the first raid, the one you were talking about. And then the, I, re- I remember the, you know, in the newspaper and on the news every day, it'd be like, they were, you know, counting whatever number day of the standoff it was. Yeah. You know, I remember that. And I remember, you know, my parents talking about, Oh, what's going to happen? How much longer is it last? Why don't they just go in there and get them? You know, all the stuff that people that aren't trained in law enforcement say, well, we'll just the, go kick the door in, you the know, siege itself was, over seven weeks. Yeah, it was a it was a very very protracted deal. Do you remember where you were, what you were doing when you first saw the thing was just engulfed in flames? Absolutely. And I, I know I've shared on this podcast before, but I was bowling during nine eleven, and I was at piano lessons during <laughs> the fire. So How'd I go? I took piano lessons. Were at, you playing chopsticks? Probably. Okay. I took uh, I took piano lessons at a lady's house, See? and this um, particular lady didn't have a TV. Okay. So my uh, mom was listening, driving me to piano lessons, was listening to the radio, you know, whatever news talk she listened to, and they were saying like, oh man, something's happening, the, the compound's starting to go up in flames. So then my mom's like, yeah, I ain't going into piano lessons. I'm staying in the car to listen, listen to, to that, the yeah. live coverage of the compound. So then periodically, I guess, when they would take a commercial break or when something, she would run up to the front door of the lady's house, open the door and give whatever the most recent update on the compound was and then leave and go back to the car. Uh, for Yeah, for the whole hour I was there. So I remember really wanting to see this. My mom was going like, there's the whole place is going up in flames. It's unbelievable. And I'm like, how am I at the one place where they don't have a TV? You know? So I remember, you know, I remember speeding home with my mom, uh, you know, and I, I gosh, I was probably like 11 or so 10 or 11, you know, speeding home to, to get the TV on, to see it and just, yeah, watching the news, you know, my parents that the rest of that day, like, you know, just couldn't believe what a, it was what uh, a disaster. Yeah, it was. it was horrible. I was, uh, I was at school. I guess technically you were too. No, I was at piano lessons. Sure. Um, yeah. Was music. Freshman year of high school, and I was going to my English class. And I guess the story had broke, or you know, word had broke as, as to what was happening. I had no idea at the time. Um, walking down the hallway, walking to my English class, somebody they've brought a TV in there. And they're watching it. I just, I just have the memory of 
turning to go in the door of that classroom, and the first thing I see is the whole the whole compound is just on fire. And that's something that would not happen today. Like they would not show that to high school kids, right? Like if there was a I don't think so. Somewhat But what do they do with nine eleven? I guess that's yeah, maybe I'm maybe I'm crazy. Maybe not. That just seems like such a like weird, violent, was, voyeuristic kind of thing it to was do. Pretty it was pretty somber because Well then there's freaking kids. Exactly. Because wherever you stood on I think a lot of people just kinda had tired head on the whole thing and had the attitude just of like, let's get this wrapped up, go in there and get them whatever else. we gotta do. Maybe we just gotta take the main guy out and everybody else will just you know, give up. Um but yeah, the fact that oh wait a second. Women and children are not running out of there, so that place is on fire. Yeah. They don't have anywhere to go. Yeah, and we're now watching them essentially burn alive. If they didn't die in some other way, at their own hand, at the hand of Tim Riggins, the government. <laughs> wow, that's for five weeks. So from now. yeah, so if the show doesn't get into that, we need to have a we need to go back to your garage and have Waco conspiracy episode. Uh, we that that's for do the do a end. little research. Yeah, we don't want to get into that now. So let's get let's get to the actual show in Tim Riggins. Let's get to the Paramount production of yes, so Waco episode. Get my one. notes opened up here. So I had one thing before I forget that I wanted to start with, uh, with respect to Tim Riggins cast as, as David Koresh. And one of the first scenes is he's in he's in bed with I guess one of his wives, correct, and one of his children. I assume this is one of his kids wakes him up to go go on a jog, which is they're really just jogging down the driveway. Yeah, it's a very short jog. I, yeah, questions about that. The thing that stood out to me, and I don't know if it stood out to you. Oh, I, I think I have it written down. The soundtrack to yeah. that jog was that, like that was Friday Night Lights. Let's like, just ode to Tim Riggins right off the bat. No, that 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 had to be somebody playing a prank. I some think it's a some bit too. yeah because that was music that was probably played in Friday Night Lights and he's exercising I mean, it was a scene like they opened the show with a scene from Friday Night Lights it just didn't have like the it didn't build up to like to the crescendo that it would in Friday Night Lights it was just that slow right. and Tyra wasn't there so that was a down downer well we we've got five more episodes to see if she shows up in an unnecessary but also necessary role. Well, no, and speaking speaking of necessary but unnecessary, I was I was just thrilled to see the first face I recognized besides Tim Riggins is the guy that plays um, Tom and House of Cards. The um, he was the, the, he's the husband of the woman who announced that she was pregnant. I, I didn't watch that. No, 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 I was talking about on this show. The, oh, okay, okay. The woman oh, no, that, no. that Koreshian So he was, uh, he was the guy in the members-only jacket? Yeah, and yeah. He, he was also recently in the uh, the P.T. Barnum movie. I don't know if you saw that. He was the... Not in the, he's in the circus. Yeah, well... Or musicals. It's a musical. I'm a fan of Hugh Jackman, though. He was pretty good in that. Yeah. But no, I was real happy to see him. He was, he's great in House of Cards. Uh, the, you've seen Ozark, right? No. That's a point of contention right now in my marriage. So your hero is like the star of it. No, I know. I'm going to watch it. Okay. I will watch well, there's it. Well, a, there's a chick from Ozark that's in this show, and she didn't. She had a very minor role in episode one. I think she yeah. just had maybe a few lines. There's also but, a girl that's in my favorite show, The Americans, uh, that was part of the, part of the uh, opening scene in the compound. I'm still in like 20, 2015 when it comes to The Americans. Yeah, you're going to need to get to one of the more advanced seasons to catch up to her character. Yeah. So... 
otherwise, we start out we start out with that. We get a little introduction to the main characters. We get Koresh walking in and speaking to his con- congregation. Right. And and were you thrown off because this is a fact about Koresh that we learn more later, but I didn't know. So when he's speaking, do you suddenly notice like he's just standing in front of like a ton of amps and electric guitars and like I was like so I wrote down like what's with all this rock and roll equipment? I had no idea he had any kind of musical anything. Yeah. That's that was news to me. That he had that that background he, that he had a gig that night. Well, yeah, we'll get to that. But but no, that was one of the first things I noticed when he's speaking to his his cult. That he's yeah he's standing in front of like Fender stacks or whatever it is. Yeah, and he. Uh, you want some other background on Mister Koresh? Please. Some fun facts. So take he a, grew a up, David Koresh fun fact that'll take two seconds. I think he grew up in Palestine. Ah, Texas. yes. Home, I know where that is. Home of Adrian Peterson. I, it's very close to the Texas Motorplex. He was the son of a 15-year-old high school dropout. Had a bit of a troubled childhood. Okay, so we're counting the red flags. Not a surprise. Um, he had... Well, he suffered, I assume, through his whole life to an extent, but certainly as a child, he suffered from dyslexia and was picked on by the other children and they gave him a nickname. Would you like to know what that nickname was? I would like to know what that nickname was. They called him Mr. Retardo. Thoughts? That is the most callous response. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Um, he then relocated to, I guess it's the, the Waco area, and joined this group, the Branch Davidians, which I think they broke off from the Seventh-day Adventist so church. he joined it? He didn't found it? Not altogether, no. I don't think so. That's breaking news to me. Did he found it? I don't know. I'm, I'm learning as I go here. No, I don't I didn't do any research. Did. I did minimal research. I basically just looked for the Mr. Retardo thing. But he didn't... F- he didn't found the whole thing because there was a big struggle before we even get to this timeline of 1992-93. There was a big struggle within the group as to who the group's leader would be. And he had a he relocated that that area and was living with those people not always at that compound cuz I don't know if that it was built yet, but he had been there since like 1988. Okay, I didn't yeah, so I didn't know any of that. And maybe 87, and he became more or less the leader like in 88 or soon thereafter. He had a rival, I think his name, read his name was George Roden, who was another guy who was wanting to lead the group. Okay. So they had a power struggle. At one time, they engaged in a shootout. With guns. With guns, with each other. As part of, you know, they're battling for who's going to be the leader. Was the other guy Smash Williams? <laughs> Were they no. competing for carries? After, after the shootout, the other guy was in a wheelchair and became a sports agent. His name was Jason Street. No, the other guy, soon after that, he was eliminated um, from contention of leadership of the group because... He was killed at a shootout. <laughs> no, but he killed another guy and then went to prison. With a gun. I think he... Beat him with something, but he he went to jail. Sounds sounds promising. So during that time, uh, Koresh is claiming to be the Messiah 
or or the lamb, however you want to phrase it. And actually, this other guy that was his rival, they went to a cemetery, and he dug up a body and then challenged David Koresh, if that's what he was going by then, I think he was, that if he was truly the Messiah, he would be able to bring that body back to life. So how did he do on that? I don't, I didn't get much more on that. Probably didn't nail that one. No, I don't think. Well, he wasn't successful in bringing him back to life. Okay, so I we're sure about that. I think he basically just said he probably found kind of an end around of uh, not doing it, but still maintaining who he claimed that he was type of thing. Yeah. So he becomes the, uh, not the founder necessarily, but the leader of this group and so they've been there for a while. And the way that I understand it, they were nice. I mean, local law enforcement, people that lived around there, basically saw them as, okay, they might be a little different. Right. That maybe not be for me. They have a lot of guns, but they're not threatening anybody. But it looked like they were, at least from the first episode, they were using the guns to kind of help fund the yeah, exactly. whatever was going on there. They were going to gun shows and selling guns. And and maybe they had all the proper permits for every firearm. Maybe they we're, didn't. We're working on getting those, I think. They were, that was alluded to. Yeah. They were but, waiting for some permits to come through. But they weren't necessarily doing anything that was just, just overtly illegal they weren't out threat. They they didn't have people with machine guns or whatever just patrolling, you know, the edge, the, their fence line, intimidating people around them or anything like that. They they weren't having run-ins with local law enforcement. Right. They weren't they weren't operating as a violent organization. Yeah. So, in the show, we then have some. We need to get to know the other characters because we got to get to know the FBI negotiator. Right. So. They're kind of running a parallel flashback with the FBI negotiator to the Ruby Ridge incident. And I'll have to admit, that's something that I've heard referenced in other shows. I had no idea what that was about. Okay. Like, I've, you know, you know, if you watch, I, I can't think of what it is, but I've heard it in several shows where if there's some kind of a big law enforcement or FBI cluster that goes down, they're like, oh, we just, well, we need another Ruby Ridge on yeah. our hands. I never knew the back, so I actually learned the backstory of that from watching this first episode. Okay, and I think that was very important that they included that here because this is a big, like trickle down effect as to why they acted the way they acted. Why, yeah, why they acted the way they acted are, you know, the strategy behaviors of our the government ag- agencies involved and how this ultimately Ruby Ridge to Waco to then two years after that, that's how we got Oklahoma City because of the way the first two, how it transpired, how it was handled, mm-hmm. and the public viewpoint and the viewpoint of obviously one in, well, I guess a couple of individuals who carry out a, carried out an unfortunate plan in Oklahoma City in 1995. Yeah. So go back to Ruby Ridge. Yeah, so back to Ruby Ridge, they um it, I don't know why what was the catalyst to get it started, but obviously the the guy that the ATF was surrounding had a bunch of weapons. I think he had a sawed-off shotguns. Yeah. He had some illegal weaponry, but they were the way I understand it. They went in it, pretty hard. They were using him because that area in the Pacific Northwest was a haven for white supremacy groups 
and criminal, you know, activity that goes along with that. And the ATF and maybe FBI as well was trying to use Randy Weaver to get as an instrument to get to to get to the bigger fish. Right. And he didn't really play along as we talk about it generally. This is Gustav knows this like word for word and could probably just spout it off. So we had him, so, so we, we had, had him here we, one one week. We too had him early. here when we were talking about Christian music, which he knew yeah. nothing about. And now we're talking about something in his wheelhouse. He's probably just punching the dash as he's driving his yeah nineteen seventy five. He just Ford. drove his, yeah. his tractor into his nineteen eighty three Ford. <laughs> we're just butchering this story, but hey, it's but, our podcast. But if Gustav wants to set the record, he should just get his own podcast. That's true. Maybe do a solo episode. Yeah. Um. But they they were trying to use him, and Randy Weaver didn't really play along completely. So then, you know, I don't know if it's something where he was technically, if they entrapped him or if they just kind of had him on something that, yeah, if you're not going to play ball with us, we're just going to, we're going to make an example out of you. This didn't work out too well. Didn't go particularly well. No, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't think so. No, it, it, and for the purpose of the show, they're also kind of setting the stage of, you know, this hothead trigger happy element of people. You've got this hostage negotiator that's the complete opposite that's really calm and wants to sort things out. So you can kind of see where they're they're laying the groundwork of all these characters for the for the big conflict that's gonna, you know, we know is gonna occur later. Yeah. But I think the important takeaway from that too is the Ruby Ridge was a very big black mark on the ATF to the point of where they're saying, We may we may get completely shut down because this is such an embarrassment. Um to the government that they may not fund us anymore. So they're kind of actively in search for what they're calling a big win or something to help re-emphasize the importance of their agency. And that's when they get, uh, get the call that there's somebody in Waco dealing in uh, a large amount of arms and, and uh, explosives. And yeah, it was a way to make themselves right. It was a way to kind of use, use this story. No, it came in the other part of it, which was referenced, but the detail of background behind it, they haven't really gone over, was at the ATF, the guy comes in and mentions for the first time there's this group down in Waco, and there's talk that they've got all kinds of all kinds of weaponry, a stockpile, and we really need to be looking into this. But it's also mentioned, I believe, that... Um, there's also word that there are kids in there that are being abused. Right. And I remember at least the narrative I was getting in from my parents was that, yeah, he was a big-time abuser of children. And I w- wouldn't sit here right now and say that he wasn't. No. Have you seen his picture? I. <laughs> yeah, but I, I also... He didn't look like Tim Riggins. I also can uh, do some of the math on some of his wives and... What the hell they look? So and you're pretty good at, and math. they've got like a nine-year-old kid that they've conceived together. I mean, I can uh, addition and subtraction. I've pretty much got that down. Yeah. So then the show shifts back to David, and this was the this was the scene that just blew my mind. He's got a band. Oh yeah, and he's got a gig tonight. They're playing covers in a bar. Is that for real? They, I have no reason to believe they can't it's add not. that detail. I don't think they would just make that up. 
I like the fact that the they're at this club and he recruits Macaulay Culkin's brother to be the drummer. Because obviously you get to a gig and you need a drummer and there's Fuller from Home Alone just hanging out. <laughs> and then hopefully he didn't drink the whole Coke because he's going to wet the bed. So they, uh, they get in the club, they start the gig, and the first song they play is My Sharona. Which is about underage girls. And isn't the whole thing... Isn't, isn't it basically just a song about your dick? Well, it's a song about that and getting it up for the younger kind and some of the other lyrics that probably wouldn't fly in 2018. So I wonder if if Paramount is just kind of subtweeting the, the family of David Koresh, which, by the way, to harken back to the Loose Change episode, I work with someone who's cousins with David Koresh. Yes, please listen to that episode in our archives. It all... It all connects. It's when the show really got going. So so we have that, and this is one thing that stuck out to me. So we, we start at the beginning. It's, you know, one of the opening scenes is actually when they're going to, the raid is starting. So it's February of, of 93. And then that scene ends, you know, right towards the beginning with he's trying to tell the, you know, the agent's, not to fire, hold on, hold on, and then you hear a gunshot. You don't know who fired it. Right. And then we get back, we're going, you know, back nine months earlier. Well, I thought just from a, I don't know, um, the timeline and the weather conditions, because nine months before February 28th would be like May 28th. Okay. So we're like Memorial Day weekend. All right. Outside the compound, there's like this gusting wind. Right. And as I remember it, everyone's in like long sleeves and jeans and members-only jackets. Yeah. There was several continuity problems. Exactly. From a timing standpoint, because I don't know if you recall, but when... I'm going to call him Tom from House of Cards, so you can you can either get on board or not. I think his name was Steve. When his When his wife told him she was pregnant and he got so upset, was, was the same time that Koresh brought... Um, Thibodeau. Thibodeau. Fuller. Tibbs. Tibbs back to the compound. And they're having a conversation uh, a little bit later, and he says, well, you've been here for six weeks, and I don't let people freeload here. And he's basically telling me he needs to either join up or leave. Well, the woman who just six weeks earlier told Tom she was pregnant is now giving birth. Right. Six weeks later, she wasn't showing when she told Tom she was pregnant. How is that possible? Yeah, the few... A few issues there. I feel like I feel like we don't even really need like high level editing. We just need somebody with like a basic understanding of a calendar <laughs> and the gestational period of a human being. Weather patterns. <laughs> yes. That in that in central Texas yeah. you're not walking around with a, a jacket and you know, long sleeves Memorial Day weekend. Right. So Another thing I, I noted just from that bar scene was that, that David's ro- rolling in a pretty cool like probably 67, 68 Camaro. So pretty excited, pretty excited to see him hot rodding around. And he also drinks a beer in the bar, but then later when he's back at the compound tells, uh, Tibbs under no circumstances are they to be drinking yeah. alcohol or using drugs. Yeah. But they were, um, they were sharing a beer at the bar. So I think it's another instance where what, whatever he's doing and preaching doesn't exactly line up. Well, one thing that we'll, I think we'll find out, um, cause I, I don't know, you know, the character of Thibodeau as, for example, 
whether that's somebody that makes it out of there. Well, or he not. does because I don't know if you you might have fast forwarded through the commercials, but they had a uh, I guess it was either a post, it was an online show, it was on their website. Okay. But it was it was a chat with the real survivors, and it was showing clips from one of the guys that they were talking to was Thibodeau. Okay, because this and he looks nothing yeah. like. So maybe where that that's where some fuller. of that comes from, um, that that's not any poetic license that they had him drinking a beer. That might have yeah. been like that's well, what Tibbs he did. Was there, and yeah. I feel like I feel like the this miniseries is strongly based on a book written by a survivor, and he may exactly. have had a role in that book. It may be his book, as far as I. So know. this is put together from a book written by a survivor or survivors mm-hmm. of the sea, the raid, the siege and everything. And then the other part that they've put this together is from the FBI, FBI negotiators book from his life as a, as an, as a negotiator. Um, and obviously there's, well, I guess he was part of the Ruby Ridge thing. And then also Waco, which back to Ruby Ridge. So uh, they've killed Randy Weaver's son They've uh, the uh, snipers managed to kill his wife. To nail the wife, who yeah. was well, shot her, and As while she's apparently holding their infant, who I think was okay. Yeah, baby made it out, as far as we know. They shot Randy as well. Yep, but he comes out and surrenders, and he surrenders when the negotiator goes and finds someone who's like, I assume. A figurehead or leader of one of the white supremacy groups in the area. It would be it would be like if your dad was holed up somewhere and they went and got Dale Earnhardt to come talk him to come out. And that guy was <laughs> real hesitant about going up there. Well, yeah, you don't want to help the man out. Yeah, well, yeah, that's true because the negotiator talked to him about that. And Wouldn't said, that be crazy? Like if you just like snap tomorrow and you're at work and you've got like your entire office held at gunpoint and then they're like, Glenn, Kyle Bush is on the phone. <laughs> He wants to talk to you. Hey, you know what? If you were in that just desperate mental state, something like that, that's kind of an extreme example. But I think that's one of the ways to reach out to somebody in that type of situation. I agree. I thought it was it was brilliant. And then the guy stepped out there and right out in the open. Yep. Weaver could have just picked him off. Of course, if Weaver sticks even the just the tip of a gun out that window, he's getting blown the damn away by the Asian sniper and the rest of the guys that were all yeah, he's in the a, woods. He's long gone at that point. He's, he's done. So what else What else do you have notes about? So la- the last thing I had notes, this is going back to our friend Tibbs. So he's been there about six weeks, and he's, he's a little hesitant to join. And then Koresh drops the real bomb on him, and he's le- he says, um, yeah, if you want to stay here, you have to be celibate. Because there's only one guy who's and he said he said firing on all cylinders. And I wrote this down as a quote because I didn't want to get it. I didn't want to misquote it for the show. He said, "I've assumed the burden of sex for us all." <laughs> and believe uh, me, knowing Tim Riggins the way I do, he did the same thing for Dylan Texas. <laughs> substitute teachers and and everything, anything he could get his hands on. So did you? He's so so. The whole point of him, he's taking on that burden, and he's trying to conceive. Is it? It's twenty four children, right? They never said the number. I just know that they were all there, and then he had a revelation at some point when he's in a in a house with a whole bunch of women. It's like I've had a revelation. But he's he. We haven't got into that because the only part of his preaching 
sermons or you know whatever is just at the beginning and right. it's more talking gen- just it's very it's generic generically. generic inspirational exactly but then uh steve the guy who apparently went to like seminary or has like a degree yeah, he was in, in theology Hawaii studying to to uh, get his div- masters of divinity or whatever is is amazed by the fact that david essentially has the entire bible memorized and he's even like who does that so he's obviously convincing and knowledgeable, and I think his epiphany, premonition, or whatever, that he's this guy and he needs to fulfill this prophecy, I, I think most of where Koresh comes from on that is from the book of Revelation, if I, if I read that correctly. Yeah. And I think there's the, in the end times, there are the 24 elders. I need to go back and actually read the actual text. But I think that was the point of why he's conceiving these children. That, that that's who these children are going to be. I got you. And so I don't know how many women, or as a matter of fact, girls that are in the com- yeah in the compound. But that's where he was headed. So they do have the one baby, and then this was very just seemed like like childbirth and fatherhood from you know 50 or 60 years ago like the baby's born it's not like brand newborn but it hadn't been around very long and the mom has it back in their room or whatever it's david's koresh's kid he comes in and is like man what a beautiful baby you've done such a good job and he kind of looks at it and he sets it down he's like i'm gonna go watch tv if you guys uh yeah, what was the movie he said i don't it was something really funny and yeah. I, I didn't write it down and he's like steve if you want to come uh, join us that'll be great now i did just put that baby in your wife yeah. and we might so hard we might go for another one here you know extra stitch and all that um but good deal we're gonna we're gonna watch die hard downstairs it's the edited version so <laughs> I know you like your yippee ki but we've we've taken that out. I get to see it. Nobody else does. But uh, was there anything else you wanted to cover? No, I mean other than episode? other than that, we we get a little a little scenes from next week coming up in the series, and I see that my number one kryptonite in all of acting is going to be a big factor. Leguizamo? John Leguizamo. Yeah, I thought it was funny. Single-handedly ruined Bloodline once he joined the cast. Okay. One of my favorite shows ever on Netflix. That has Coach Taylor in it, right? Yeah, I yeah. only watch shows with him in it. Did you <laughs> not know that? That's why I haven't watched Ozark yet, is they haven't confirmed that. Because you're going back and watching Early Edition for like the fifth time. <laughs> They have not confirmed to me that Coach Taylor makes an appearance in, in uh, Ozark yet. So yeah, so that's how it ends. So it kind of the, the episode ends much the same way it begins. Right. With he and the David and the kid jogging down the driveway. Right. And before that, we've seen the ATF says, "Hey, we're we're gonna look into this. We're gonna have these people. Right. We're gonna look great because we're gonna take their weapons and we're gonna free these kids. And everybody's gonna think the ATF is is great." So they send Leguizamo, or they order someone to be able right. to do surveillance. To, to move into this most beaten down, uninhabitable house. I just scoffed at the fact, and I guess it's not on the Branch Davidians' land. It's right there. But it was so close. So obvious what they're doing. Like they jog out, and he's looking in the house, and it's almost like they're just standing face to face. Yes. They're so close. I was like, and maybe that's true to life. Well, what would have been a better play since they're in Waco? is have Chip and JoJo come out. Shiplap? Well, you know, they fix her up here. They, they take the worst house in the best neighborhood. 
fix that sucker up, some shiplap, and then have Leguizamo move in, it's totally more believable that way. You know what the government could have done? This would have been difficult. Are you familiar with who Sean Oakman is? Enlighten me. He used to play defensive end for Baylor. Oh, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. He probably would have provided the necessary competition <laughs> for Koresh just to kind of bust that whole thing up and uh, wouldn't have had to burn down. Wouldn't have solved all the other problems. But it hey. Actually would have made them worse. <laughs> but they'd have lived. You at least got that sorted out. Problem solved. So I think uh, definite thumbs up yeah. on first episode. So to put a bow on episode one, two thumbs up for me. Can't wait for episode two. Yeah. So what's our what's our plan for releasing episodes moving forward? Because we're here a, almost a week out. Yeah. We're basically we're releasing it exactly one week after it airs. I want to be a little closer. Um, it's going to depend. Can on you schedules. call Jaime and see if you can miss basketball Thursday night so we can record a That's second? That's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. We might have to. We might be looking at weekends. Might be looking at a weekend appearance. But I guess I guess what we can say is at least for the short term during the show we're going to try to put our episode up as soon as we can. Yeah, just as soon as we can record it after the show, we can't promise we're going to hit a regular cadence, but we're going to make an effort to try to get it done as quickly as we can. It after will the show. fully release with enough time to listen to this before the next episode airs, with the exception of the one we're doing right now. Yeah, that's really we're really edging there. But, but we, we may be okay though. Yeah, everybody that listens listens day one. I assume. I, I mean, I feel like people just are waiting by their phones for the little push notification that says uh, "at where to turn pod" has released a new track. Just constantly refreshing it down. Yeah. That's what I do. That doesn't really make sense. This is my favorite podcast. I, I'm oh. always waiting for a new episode to come out. I'd probably say it's probably eighth or ninth on my list. Well, let's see so, if maybe maybe top 10, though maybe this this little experiment with uh, being more topical will help uh, help elevate it. All right. And we, cool. need to, we need to be out on Twitter trying to recruit uh, fans of the show to listen to our podcast. That's, that's our goal. And then they, and as an added bonus, they can hear how you're doing the basketball every week. <laughs>